Hello everybody and welcome to episode 57 of Competitive Magic with the Carnies. I'm your host from Italy, Andrea Mengucci, and joining me as always we have Javier Dominguez from Spain. Hello everyone! And Anthony Lee from Australia. Hola! As always, uh, usually we uh, thank the uh, patrons and we talk about the patreon.com slash carnies at the end, but this time I want to shout out at the beginning. Uh, yeah, we have a Patreon where you can, uh, of course, sub, uh, just like Ashas44 did a few days ago, and you can join the Discord talking yes. about everything, uh, every format, uh, show your uh, deck picture, which I love to see, and I'll always commentate on anyone posting uh, your uh, deck picture. Anthony, you used to post our deck pictures with all your uh, mismatching art in the past. I, have, I haven't seen a deck pic of yours in a while. Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, huh, you're right. I hadn't noticed that I hadn't. I suppose it's easier to notice when someone else doesn't do something than when one of us stops not doing something, so. Alright, uh, well, there'll be the standard RCQ coming, uh, RCQ season coming soon, so I guess you'll be able to appreciate my artistry very soon. Uh, are you still, are you still mismatching a lot, or you got, you got, you're not anymore? Uh, I still do a lot of the time, um. I don't know. Just, you know, go with the flow. <laughs> and the flow is mismatching every single card in every single possible possible option, like in every way. Well, no, because if they're all mismatched, yeah. that's that's also a pattern. So some of them have to match. Uh, I see. So it's like the, a 2-1-1 one, one split. 2-1-1 one, one is very good, yes. I see, I see. Yeah, I usually, obviously, not obviously, but like, I hate mismatching, but sometimes just buy for my LGS, and especially like the, the, the most recent card, I, I happen to mismatch, and it pains me a little bit, but times we have to accept those. There's my good friend Pivo, who always offers to match all my arts, and he's always happy to play with mismatch, so, you know, shout out to Pivo, who, for example, at the last LMS Sofia, uh, traded Questing Druid with me. I had the showcase version, which I didn't like, and he had the normal one, so... Why don't you win. learn from him? He's an interior designer, right? He's a literal professional at things that look good, so maybe you should learn from his preferences. That is true, that is true. All right. Um, outside of that, of course, you can also enjoy the show on uh, YouTube, where you can see uh, Javier's face and the beautiful Fervet champion behind him. Uh, I have in front of me a screen from Doomwick Twitter uh, that showcases the most the four uh, challenges. Of course, strategically hasn't shown the modern qualifier, uh, you know, for strategic purposes. Um, but uh, there's a lot of scam in these tournaments. Most importantly, on the first and the last one, there are five and six copies of uh, uh, scam in uh, in the top eight of those magical events. And of course, that is the Discord of the past days, and we are a competitive magic podcast. So I would say that uh, it's interesting for us to discuss about it. And um, yeah, guys, do you? I mean, I of course I have my own opinion, but you know, as a as a as a host of this podcast, I'm I'm asking you first. Javier Anthony, do you guys have any opinion on why Rakdos Cam has such a dominant performance in the pa in the online events, whereas when happened the paper event, it's it's fine. It's one of the good decks, you know. It doesn't do six out of eight every time or or things like this. Well, for starters, I think you are the one of us that has played the scam the most. 
So I think you probably should be the one giving us the insight first, if that's okay. Because you have better information, yeah. Well, so I I remember when Lord of the Ring came out, Orcish Bowmaster came out, I figure out the strength of the card and Scam was the best home. So people were playing that shadow at the time. You also remember were trying that shadow at the time. Um, but I, I I felt that Scam was just the best home for it. The deck was amazing, much better than Merktide. And uh, and yeah, I, I won the, the Mox playoff. But then like, I don't know, I felt like uh, the deck was trying to cannibalize itself too much in the mirror match and things like that. So I, I kind of dropped it. But then it did very well at the PT, of course, winning the PT. And ever since I was like, I'm kind of off scam. There are actually some bad matchups for the deck, which I don't want to face. Most importantly, hardened skills, which I constantly lose to. For color, as as you know, it's it's not a great matchup and etc. But I guess those decks, uh, there's also something more. Like Rhino is also not great. Hammer Time is also not great. But yeah, all in all, scam is just a super strong opener deck. If you just grief uh, evoke on turn one, you probably win the game. So... You know, it's still, like, the best choice, and um, it is. We can't say that it isn't the best deck, but, like, when I play it, I don't feel like it is the most certainly best deck that will, you know, top 8, 5 or 6 out of 8. So these results on Magical Line, to me, are just weird, and I feel like they are there because there's, like, I don't know, like, three quarters of the Elevantis cam, things like that, you know? Yeah, I think that happens a lot more in Magic Online, where a lot more of the field tends to converge towards one deck. I mean, I want to clarify that, you know, these... Sometimes I think these Magic Online challenges, the results aren't always very indicative. Certainly, like, you know, I'm thinking of the standard format before Wilds of Eldraine, where, like, blue-black midrange was just absolutely and completely dominant. And, you know, when we actually tested, that that kind of sucked, you know? <laughs> Like, it wasn't even a good deck. I'm not saying that Black-Red Evoke is as bad a deck as Blue-Black Midrange was, or that we found Blue-Black Midrange was, but it really underscored that there was just no connection between how good a deck was and how well it did in these challenges, honestly. And I think part of that is the Magic Online ecosystem, where you have to compete in a lot of formats, um, you know, across the different challenges if you're grinding Magic Online. And that means you don't get to put a ton of uh, effort into each one, I think. So being able to pick something up and jam it uh, without as much preparation as if you were um, playing in just that one, I think tends to lead to these metagames that become... Yeah, they, they, they really converge on like specific decks, I think, because it's much easier to just copy uh, and still do reasonably well, especially because... You know, most other people are doing that uh, in the same context of Magic Online. So, I don't know, like, <laughs> it just, I just don't think these matter that much. And I think this is, uh, I think the current discourse is something of a consequence of uh, the importance of challenge results having been overrated for, well, a long, long time. A long time, I would say. But mm. I think it's about time somebody said they're not that important. Well, I mean, you have some point with the Magical Line metagame being like condensated and such, but I also, I mean, I would like to point out, I don't know what you think with this, but this is not a blue-black situation because this is a deck that won, like literally won the PT, but also like was good in the PT. 
and it's a deck that's also widely played like in paper or whatever like i think your point is actually very valid or you know magical line challenges being like plagued with an archetype doesn't really mean the deck is good but it, it's also like way less like way less likely to happen in modern because modern is widely played in paper so a lot of people just play magical line with the same decks of playing paper which is not the case in the standard because the standard is not that much played any, anymore like in paper like in you know like big tournaments or whatever so i think the the standard like the sorry the scam doing well is actually way stronger of an indicator than any format in standard will be or even like i don't know if pioneer qualifies here but like legacy for sure as well so i think that's an indicator of the strength like that's more important than it would be in other formats. Mm, that that's reasonable. Um. Yeah. yeah. So on top of the uh, four challenges, there was also a, a MTGO PTQ, which is another. Uh, a, this one is actually important event, like over three hundred players, nine rounds of Swiss, and we have uh, Andre Strasky uh, qualifying, uh, finishing the top two. Uh, he, he played scam. Uh, there's three scam in the top eight and two more in the top 16. So, of course, this dominant performance continues over uh, to um, the qualifier, although, you know, much less than in the challenges where, I don't know if you saw it, but, you know, it was just very much much more prevalent than in the qualifier, which actually, uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, but the winner is uh, Alpinko on uh, Tron, Modern Green Tron, literally the list that Javier uh, wrote about in the uh, RRI article. Uh, I don't know if you can see a difference, but I think it's just exactly that. No, I, I see exactly the same 75, same, yeah. I will say, Great yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah, good, good, building, good yeah. building. They definitely count for more, I think. <laughs> this is like what I would, this is more like what I would expect, like Black Red doing very well, but not, you know, completely absurdly. You know, this this feels uh, more representative to me. I mean, I, I would, like in the dark, I would have said the qualifier. Uh, is a lot more con convincing to me about where a deck is at than any number of challenges. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, as as yeah, and as always, my theory about four color consistently doing bad in longer tournaments. So nine rounds of Swiss, zero for color uh, in the top eight. Uh, just I don't know. Just it keeps on happening like that. Although it is probably amongst uh, the the most popular deck. But one question I want to give you is. How big of a concern for a ban announcement is the uh, metagame prevalence of a deck? So not the win percentages, but the metagame prevalence. Do you think that a deck being, you know, I don't know how, how big a scam, but I think like looking at this challenge result, this scam, again, they don't have data as I think for, this, for, the, for these events, but let's say maybe it was like 30%. Is that... Is that ban worthy if it puts up a thirty percent just you know, prevalence in the in, in a format? I mean, if the deck is not good enough, people will eventually play it less because it will be targeted and then the deck will be worse and then people will play other things, right? So the how much of Is that like, necessarily you know, true how much play? in modern? Yeah, I mean it will, right? Like you only play like if you play a scam and you're facing like and I like hate decks every round, you will be like, okay, I'm gonna play another deck. You're only gonna play a scam if it's good enough to stand that pressure. Well, I'm I thinking feel. about Merc type, which is a deck that was consistently incredibly popular and had a horrendous win rate. 
But it was right. never as popular as Scam is now, is was it? Like, we never saw this with no, Moped. No, it was, was it was too bad. It was too bad to to actually win this more. Um, well, I'm I'm it was like incredibly popular, practice. which is the point, right? Like the point is not about how much I'm, it's I'm, winning, but about how how much of a metagame it can take. And Murktide really yeah, like, had a massive metagame share. Yeah, but like nobody ever talked about banning any cards from Murktide because Murktide was consistently winning very little, or rather, like below fifty percent win rate, whereas Scam isn't. But it's like barely above, is... you know? Like, it doesn't have an outrage yeah, like, win rate. It doesn't, but, you know, if you look at this stat, these results, it's good. If you look at the qualifier, still, like, 3 out of 8 in the top 8. It's it's still, like, a very good uh, a very good play. So, I would say that if you look at this online result only, it's reasonable to talk about a ban discourse, uh, which is, again, what... I mean, I'm not... Personally, I would not want any bans. I think that the format is is good. Uh, when I practiced for Sofia, I considered Scam and eventually thought that it was not a good choice. And at the event, Scam had a, a normal win percentage. Uh, like, I don't really remember, but definitely nothing nothing fantastic. And, uh, you know, I was happy with my deck choice and, and things like that. But it makes sense. But, like, even if you decide that this deck needs to go, now that the next question is, what are you even going to ban? Like, are you banning grief? Well, which also hurts leaving games. Well, I think what that's exactly easy. I'll be trying to achieve with a ban because, I mean, I think having three out of eight of a top eight is within a normal range for a best deck. Like, that's not unusual to me in any format, right? Um, so what exactly are we trying to achieve with with a ban? I think we would need to answer that question before we figure out whether we want one, and if so, what we would ban. Well, we actually talked about this a little bit in other, I think, previous podcasts. Like, the way I see it, it's like, the reason why Scam is good is because it has a large amount of, like, semi-turn one kills, and it's actually the reason why it's called Scam, because it feels bad. Uh, so I think, is like, Grief will be the card to go, just mean, like, because... It's gonna stay there. Like the power level of this, so somehow, like turn one kills, is high enough to carry the whole deck, and it's also good enough to be, you know, good for as long as it's legal. Like the power level of that, you know, it's good enough. Why is that so much less fun than other things that also happen? And like, why is a turn one double grief so much more unfun than like turn three natural tron or, um whatever other nut thing that you know or, you know, what you know it's, it's, it's uh, very subjective it's very subjective but like it's just like the classics feel like when you don't even play a land and the game is already decided or whatever like you know i mean so if i get I'm, to I'm, play two lands and then i die it's like better. yeah i mean like, because you can choose for for me like i mean i'm fine with the scamming and the metagame i actually think i said before uh the other another show also like i think it's a very good best deck i think it's cool the best deck to me though but I think if you're gonna ban something, it has to be grief. Like a- anything else you touch in the deck, it's like I mean, you could probably make the deck way weaker if you remove Dalphy Walker. But but Walker is keeping a lot of decks in check as well. Like it's it's very hard to to ban things, obviously. But I think grief will be the case. Another way, uh, scam. Like I agree to some extent that it's not that great, but I also think it's good enough to just the whole. I I think the whole modern format is worked around the scam. Like. You can say it's three top eights or whatever, but usually most of the top eights are decks that are good to okay against a scam, and decks that are bad against a scam are like almost out of the metagame. 
by extension, but because of how played it is, because how resilient it is, to like decks that are not good against it. And I think that's usually a sign we see before a deck's like too good, you know, like usually a deck gets banned, not only because it's good, but also like the whole thing is warped around, around it. And that's kind of happening. Like we see a lot of decks like, you know, like you see a lot of decks that are bad against a scam that are not much played anymore. And that's like, you know, like I'm talking about decks that are still fine, obviously. No, it's not like you can play mono protection from Ragdos in the main deck or anything because it's still modern. And now I think the meta game share of Cam is like too high. But yeah, and to answer your question about how fun it is, I mean, it's subjective. Like, I don't think the presence of Tron is particularly fun, but I also don't think the presence of Living, Living End is. You know, that's I what I'm saying. It, Every, if everything is like that. Well, so but then. Well, not everything, though. Like, there are some... I mean, there were turn to kills in Stormy Modern and they went away, you know, and they cut Splinter Twin because the metagame was not very diverse. Like, there's a lot of... There's a lot of things you can ban deck for, and I think if you're going to cut something from a scam, it would be Grief. But the issue with banning Grief or attacking a scam is it's a fine best deck, and if what if you cut... Like, imagine you cut Grief and then the best deck becomes, like, Amulet you know, or Tron, like, it, it's very dangerous, you know, like, like whenever, if, if Mortad had been, like, the best deck by a lot or whatever, it also would have been fine, I will say, so, yeah, I mean, I think the most important question here is, like, as competitive players, is, like, okay, this is a situation, uh, every one of us can think there should be bans or not, I think probably banning grief will make things better short-term, but maybe not long-term, but the thing is, what do we do now? Like, we, okay, let's say we have a tournament in Modern. Scam is the best deck. It's also the most played deck, and it's also warped the format around it. What do we do? Do you know? Like, what do you guys, how do you guys approach tournaments? Well, well, first of all, that this is our primary concern is already the first step. I think you have to recognize that, you know, people always talk about bands or like, wow, there's like infinite this in the challenge and everything is terrible, but a lot of players don't seem to be happy or willing to move past that which is fine if that's not what you want but you know if you're trying to compete your next step should be what now what do i do not what does wizards of the coast do unless you actually work for wizards of the coast i guess (laughs) Uh, but you know for for the rest of us who are competitive and aren't working for play design you know this this kind of discourse is not terribly helpful because you know sometimes this stuff is exploitable um and even if it's not, then maybe, you, you know, you, you have to try to figure out what to do within those confines. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the first thing to do is, I think, check whether you have to be doing the thing, which is it's always step one, right? Because I mean, we've had metagames like this before, and sometimes you do just have to do the thing. But the bar is really, really high, right? To, to have to, that you absolutely have to do the thing. Like, I think you have to do the thing was, I don't know, it wasn't even true of, Eldrazi Winter or Hogak, right? Because for the Hogak PT, we played Phoenix. And for Eldrazi Winter, like, obviously the Eldrazi deck was the best deck, but I remember the Asian pros, the Japanese pros, and Li Shi Tian did incredibly well with Living End. So, I mean, if you didn't have to do Eldrazi during Eldrazi Winter and didn't have to do Hogak during Hogak, uh, was it a summer? I don't know what it was. During the Hogak season. Uh, it doesn't seem very likely that Scam is on those levels, right? No, I don't think that's necessarily true because, Anthony, you're assuming that the... I don't know if this is how to say this in English. Like, the strength of a deck is not proportioning 
how likely you are to be forced to play the deck. Does that make sense? Like you, you, you went to two extreme examples where the deck was like extremely strong. Assuming those will be the ones that you were more likely to be forced to do it, right? I think this is not true. The reason is, the stronger the deck is, the more it will warp the metagame against, uh, around it. So Hogak was a pity where stock Leylands were playing in the main deck. And that means, like, playing Hogak was maybe less likely than playing a best deck that was not as warping. But in that case, I feel like it's always correcting. Because either the deck is so powerful that it becomes warping enough that you cannot play it, or it's not that powerful and then you don't lose that much by doing well, something else. Well, there's more about this, because there's also, uh, like, how capable is the format to adapt to the deck? Like, okay, Hogak, Leyland was very easy to adapt, but what about Pro Tour Oko in a standard, where it was the best deck, but also the format could not really adapt to Oko because Oko was, like not supposed to be there in a way like it was just too good for what the format could do reasonably like you could beat a deck that maybe was fine against oko but it will be like a 52 percent and also will lose every single game against every other deck or whatever and that's something that it's also we should evaluate in this situ in situations like this we have to evaluate how strong a deck is how much of a metagame share it has and also how can a metagame adapt adapt against it because a deck like scam it's is way way harder to fight from a deck building perspective than Hoag was. Like, you could play Mono White Soldiers with four Leylands of the Void main deck, and you would be not that bad against Hoag. If that makes sense. But if you're gonna be good against a scam, you probably need to be the one of those decks that are actually just good against it. Yeah, it needs to be on a structural level. You can't just put cards in your deck. Yeah. That, let's you think, know, let's, that's different. Let's thing. take the example. Let's take your example. So, last episode, we talked about the Modern Super League. And we talked a lot about that, and you prepared, you had your deck ready to beat Scam because you expected Young Dingo and Corey to be on Scam, and um, Mezen was the, you know, wild card, it could have played anything. But, so, you were ready for Scam, you picked up a list of four-color, tuned to beat Scam, and you ended up, if, correct me if I'm wrong, losing to Scam twice? Or just no, once? I lost to Scam once, I beat four-color twice. But my deck, okay, well, so my deck was yeah. bad in the mirror, bad in the mirror, and good against the scam. But like that's, I also drew four beans against the mirror, and I drew them through lands against the scam. So it's like, okay, sorry, yeah, yeah. I thought you lost twice against. No, scam. I don't know if you uh, saw the games, but I was like ex extremely lucky against Mason actually across the two matches, and I just didn't function much. Like I just call a screw twice yeah. or something in the other games, like. Obviously, you can still lose to most decks or win most decks, beat most decks. No, no, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. But overall, Scam is definitely a deck that can pick apart any uh, bad matchups and win it on the back of uh, that famous Grief Scam turn one, or just, you know, even, even Shieldred can pull out a win against uh, uh, many decks. So it's a powerful deck, and I think that uh, if you had to attack it uh, with, with the ban list, it would be Grief. It wouldn't be... I think anything I've, I've read on, on internet in these days. And a ban of grief would also hurt something else, like Living End, which I, I, don't, I don't think it's... Like, reminds me of when they banned Ayovugin, which also hurt Tron, and that was fine. Like, I don't think it was... Uh, you know, Tron players were really upset when they banned Ayovugin, but um, I think the modern format went on normally and they just forgot about the Drazi. I mean, there were some Drazi decks, but they were much weaker, remember? I should remember the Australian team playing uh, Banto Drazi in that uh, 
in that world magic of anyway <laughs> uh, the so i think that the format could carry on normally and we competitive magic player would probably just adapt to it uh but the thing is that i don't think a band of grief is needed right now and what about you guys like if you had to say like which band grief or not right now well does it matter i mean let's just think about what we would do now right like what happens when they don't ban grief like what would we do <laughs> And yeah, I think, think about... banning, yeah, Gwen Grief will be fine, but also it's funny if they don't. I don't have any strong feelings about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I think I it just doesn't matter that much either way. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, we, like, we, we know. Have to, we have to react yeah. to whatever they do, so we can plan for that, I suppose. But Yeah, I remember Nassif saying that once, uh, uh, questions like this, and I don't care. I just play with the cards they give yeah, me. Yeah, that's basically yeah, but, but, but yeah, also, yeah, I like, agree. Yeah, I think banning Grief, I mean, I think the, having Grief in the format is not great, but we don't know. Maybe not having grief actually becomes the worst. <laughs> yeah, worse. better the yeah. devil, you know. Sometimes I don't know. Like, <laughs> if 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 the whole format was just beans mirrors, I think that would be an unendurable hellscape compared to this. I yeah. think that would be so well, much worse for the game. Definitely. Yeah, but I, I don't think that if you ban grief, that's the outcome. Could be. Could literally be. We don't no. know. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's all Tron mirrors or amulet mirrors, and I I also don't want to play. I want to play that even less than. No, but like, like, like decks that destroy the bean decks or whatever, they bet against a scam. And you, you try to play beans against Amulet, you're never winning. But like those decks, Amulet is not good against a scam. Like this could easily be the outcome. Opposite, it's not super likely, but it could happen. And if it happens, it's like, all right, going to time every round, you know, like whole tournaments become draws. That could be very bad. Yeah, the fact the fact that uh, scam makes a tournament fast is definitely an uh, upside. Uh, an upside for it's a very good best deck, format. like a best deck that's like flat-ish and match. Yeah, like flat, fast-ish, flat-ish, uninteractive or whatever. That's you know, I'll take it. Like sometimes you get scammed on the draw, whatever. Sure, but you know it's fine. <laughs> but we great. got a we got a, we got a bit away from uh, the more practical. Thing that we should be thinking about right like what 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 do we think people should do now or in similar situations to this oh yeah true well we're talking about this like how adaptable a deck can be like okay let's say imagine you play a tournament where you know there's gonna be like a 50 percent of a scam in modern suddenly 50 50 percent 50 percent like you're playing a local rcq of 30 persons yeah. and you know like you could totally see that happening 16 yeah. scams or whatever at this point, you could start going crazy, like play Ch Enchantress deck with yeah. Land of Sanity and like ways of creatures don't kill you or whatever. You could play mono white control enchantment decks or whatever, and you could make it so this deck will crush a scam. Like, this deck will surely crush a scam if you, you know, play enough like cards that are good against it. Mm. Um, you know, and you could cyber like a bunch of Fell of Summers and just have removal and enchant hate enchantments or whatever. Like, this could happen, right? Like, I'm just saying. I'm not saying this will be the best way, but there, there's easily a deck you can build that will crush a scam. I think it will involve those cards probably. Like you know, so, imagine like yeah, four so four of each pro red pro pro black card. You know, worship and no sanity. How is scam ever beating that? You know, but is that the extent to which like are you specifically looking for some out there deck that will crush them or are you willing to for example the deck that i have most often recommended to people in this spot in this season is rhinos because i feel that's just like a generically powerful deck that is you know i think it's a headache and scam right I think yeah but pretty good there but that's like um, a lot of scam not like over 50 percent of scam like if right Oko, if pt oko had a deck that actually will crush oko it will have been a different situation 
like we have to differentiate from PT Hoga situation to PT Hog situation, where Hogak is it's not obvious that Hogak was the best deck to play, but Oko was obviously the best deck to play, whatever. Even though I actually didn't play Oko. But that's another matter. Uh <laughs> yeah. Like if you have this amount of scam, you could build a deck that beats scam. So this narrative of like nothing can beat the scam well is actually not true. Uh, the, yeah, the I think that's the, very clearly. I the mean, truth, the, no, no, like actually, like destroy scam. Like you could build a deck this if you have one task, and a task is like yeah. I have to destroy scam. You could do it easily, but the thing, is, the, the truth is, you cannot beat scam while being an acceptable magic deck against the rest of the format, and that's because well, the whole format has high be. power level, like, seventy-five you, plus. Yeah, whatever, but if you, if we, like, I, like I would be quite happy with just like you know fifty-five or like even sixty is like kind of awesome if it's you know if you're respectable against the rest of the field and that's a lot easier to do right yeah but that's a different exercise because i think recognizing yeah. that that being possible because maybe you can be in the middle right like maybe yes. there's a blue white control prison that you can build or whatever like i think for me going forward or whatever i think these kind of situations are the ones that actually are better for brewing like yeah, i agree if you could brew a deck that's actually crushing a scam ignoring the rest, and then you can make that deck actually playable against the rest of the field, you could be good enough against Scam, probably for these modern challenges. Like, if you go out of those, there will be not as much Scam, right? That's a different situation as yes. well. But I think those are the factors I will take into account here. Just like, how vulnerable the deck is, how much is it played? Because even if Scam was the best deck, if it was like at 12% or 15%, honestly, that probably means you should play Scam. If you identify the deck is the best deck and it's like 10, 15, even 20, whatever. Because there's just not enough for people to be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to play Rhinos, even though it's bad in the format because it beats scam. Because, they will, you know, there's 80% of non-scam. Like, what are you going to do with Rhinos if, if it's assuming it's bad? Like, if you build this mono-white prison deck, what are you going to do in a 10 round 2 is if you play against 8 decks where your deck is non-functional? You have, like, all these Leylands or whatever. So, I think yeah, the best option difficult. in your example is Hardened Scales, which I think it's really one of the best decks in modern right now, because it has a very good matchup against Scam, probably, you know, amongst the deck that it's that it's good. Uh, sorry, like, a valid deck ha that has the best matchup against Scam, I think it's Hardened Scales, which has a, a very good matchup against Scam in my experience, and is also just a, a solid, very good deck. Although, it has a very high entry level, like, barrier... Like, not just anyone can be like, oh yeah, I want to play these challenges, I want to crush the scam players, I'll pick up hardened skills. They will just simply not do that. First, because the deck is hard, and second, because magic players are very much like, like, how, how to say, like, they don't want to challenge themselves in a, uh, <laughs> to, I don't know if you guys can understand me right now, but like, people maybe know that skills is the deck to play, but they're, they're afraid of playing it, because they might make mistakes with it. Like, well, I mean, that depends but, on... Some players will find that attractive and some players will not, but I recognize that yeah. there will be some of both. I also tried scales for some legs or whatever, and it's probably because I'm used to play these kind of decks, but I actually was... Like, I thought it was way harder. Like, I found Jagmoth way harder than scales. That's me personally. I agree with that. Yeah. Like, I was there. It was like, I was sitting there, and I was like my inner self playing Affinity some years ago, whatever. I was just like doing this math, and I was like, okay, I mean, this is kind of complex, but I well, can there's do different it. kinds of difficulty, right? So yeah, like, I'm saying like, if you, yeah. But for some players, I think scales should not be that. If you're used to play like Ravagers or like Hamad decks, the tricks or whatever, 
I think Skells was not as hard as I thought it would be compared to Yagmoth. I picked Yagmoth for a problem. It was like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't yeah, know what Yagmoth I'm doing. was terrifying and Hammer was pretty uncomfortable as well, like with how <laughs> tough it was for the first few times. Whereas like, so some, some decks are like just computationally difficult, which I think is like scales. So if you're used to counting, it's not that hard. And some decks are like Amulet, where there's not as hard as you, where they're not as hard as you think, but they are very unintuitive. So you just have to get used to like doing something that's very different but it's not inherently very difficult. And then there's Yorgmoth, which is kind of both, where it's both, like, di- it's dynamic and it's also, like, somewhat unintuitive. And also it rolls a bunch of counting. And then it's very, very tough. Like, I think Hammer is similar as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, whether that... I mean, so maybe you would say Scales is that deck, that, like, the best, the best, the most realistic version of that deck, right? That, like, yeah, beats a little Scam. Bit. Yeah, but, but it depends on how much scam you need. Like, I mean, how much scam you need for... Assuming scale is... Scale is a fine deck, but it's definitely not very good against the part of the field that's not a scam. Yes. Like, it's not getting to 50% against the rest or whatever. So, how much scam do you need for scales to be the best deck for you? Unless you are, like, a scales expert. That's a whole different thing. But, like, you know, the answer is probably quite a bit. That, that's the issue right. with modern. Like, the... Like, there's another thing I want to say here. It's like, the, the power level of the format, it's also about, like, how flat it is compared to the deck. Like, it's much different if you have, like, a Hog deck that's a 9, and then a lot of the decks are, like, 8s, where if they put a Leyland of the Void, then it's suddenly almost to Hogak. Then, again, I'm going to Oko because it's very clear, the Oko decks were just another whole different level, right? Here in Modern, I mean, Scam is the best deck, but the difference between Scam and Jack Moth, for example, is not that high to my eyes. So if I think you, it's tiny. Yeah. yeah, it's tiny. I mean, it's still the best deck, but not by a lot. So if you target the scam into a big tournament and a scam ends being like 15%, even though it's still the most played deck, yeah, I mean, I will not like to play scales in a tournament with 15% scam unless I think scales are actually good against the rest. So maybe the situation is like scam is so good because it's so well protected from the format. That could be the case. And if that's the case that's very tricky because that's it sounds like you might maybe should pick up a scam but if you also think the deck is not good enough maybe you can just ignore it to be fair at this point you well, know the way like, I see it you know you could see like it's, it's, it's like maybe it's tiny enough the way, the way I see it is I don't know like I feel like I mentioned this before with uh I think uh, black red in pioneer when that was perceived as the best deck and you know i said maybe it is i'm not really sure but one thing that i am sure about is that i don't want to play a deck specifically if it's overrated it doesn't matter like how good it actually is it matters to me whether it's overrated or underrated but specifically i try to avoid things that are overrated um because i assume that other people will bring will respond like proportionately to how good they think it is and i think if i think it's not as good as what other people think it is then i don't want to play it Right, because I expect other people to act in a way that reflects how good they think it is, and then the deck is just it just isn't going to stand up to that, which I think is what makes me not want to play black red scam. Because I think maybe maybe it is the best deck, but if it's not the best deck by very much, and everyone else thinks it is the best deck by a lot, then everyone is playing decks like rhinos or whatever or hammer or scales. Because some people will bring those decks based on the information that they believe suggests that. Blackrod is that good, and then I'm just going to get crushed every time I play against those players without receiving the benefits of actually having a deck that, that is that good. So, 
that that for for me, I think it would be very hard for me to justify playing black red at the moment. Yeah, honestly, exactly what you said is what I believed in going into this like uh, LMS Sofia is that everyone expected scam to be played, so I would face the the bad matchups, and I didn't believe the deck was like good enough to hold in that spot. So yeah, just exactly, I I totally agree with you there. Yeah, yeah but I, think, I mean, just yeah, I think general. you nailed it. I think you just nailed it. Like it's not about. Like the question then, like the actual question is not, is a scam is the best deck? The answer to that is it doesn't matter. What matters is, is a scam actually overrated or underrated? Because in the Pioneer situation, also it was not the important thing, right? Like if the deck was expected to be more played than we thought, then we should not play the deck. And this is, I think you actually nailed it. Like this is very useful, I think. I mean, you know, just like not focusing how, like if the deck is the best deck or not, because it doesn't matter, just... If it's gonna be perceived as like a super play deck or whatever, you probably do not gonna be the one doing that. And also, if you're trying to attack it, it's also dangerous if you play a deck that's reacting, you know, too much to the how how their like the scam is in the metagame, right? So yeah, I mean, probably we should try to assess said exactly how like exa how well it is represented compared to like what we might perceive overall. It's hard though. All right. Let's let's try to move on uh, uh, topics because we were uh, a long time on this. But again, this was definitely the discourse of the week. Like it's been, I as a as a modern streamer and YouTuber, I get questions about scam ban for like months at this point. So I was happy to finally, you know, uh, uh, what a tortured existence. <laughs> Anthony, <Yeah. laughs> there are two I more topics to. There are two more topics about modern. So let's get through them. One is of course. Uh, uh, Gibran Nassif, who topated the qualifier going 8-1 in Swiss with his brew, uh, which I have played, and it, it was actually impressive. Uh, it's this blue-red uh, deck featuring Boombust and Cleansing Wildfire. You have uh, Indestructible Lands, you use Ensoul Artifact and Rise and Shine. Uh, you also have Lightning Bolts, God Blast, and the Shrapnel Blast, which just burn them out, uh, disrupt the mana of four color decks, making Indestructible Lands against uh, Scam is very good. And uh, yeah, he kind of like brewed this up by himself and it seems to be working. I'm, I'm curious to know if other people will play it next week or uh, it was just go as uh, it would just pass uh, as it was just passed by. But again, I, I played this deck in one league and, and it was good. It was a it was a good deck. So I don't know if you guys saw it. Yeah. Or, or what do you think? But yeah. um, well, the, the issue is it's, <laughs> it's when I see if so the issue is did he win because he's so absolutely super good or did he win because his egg was good so i never i will not tr necessarily trust this topic as much for that reason which is kind of running well he was playing a lot of four callers as far as i know and he was not doing too well um just switched to this brew and you know randomly not randomly but he just switched his brew and top hated so uh again i am against those four caller decks uh in the in general in the in the long tournament i believe there is one in the top 16 and it is the Cascade version, which is now the uh, uh, official, I would say, what? version of Four Color. Why, why, do, you like keep, why do you keep specifying that you wouldn't play Four Color in a long tournament? Are you telling me that you would play it in a short tournament? No, come on, guys. That doesn't make any sense to me. Guys, not again. <laughs> okay, okay. Speaking of short tournaments. Not again. Okay, 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 okay. We'll spare <laughs> not you. Not again. Here, I think it's... All right. Thank I you. think that blue red deck's really interesting though, because I get the idea, right? Like yeah. I think it's yeah. If you have the indestructible threat against black red, it's really good, and you have the boom bust plan against uh, four colors, so he kind of has the two best decks in the format 
covered in that way. But, but also Tron as well, right? Then Amulet or it's, whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a bunch of other decks that randomly get destroyed by one of these, right? So that's that's really interesting to me. I mean, normally I feel like I don't really like this kind of approach where you're like, oh, I have this angle and this angle without having card selection because you're going to draw the wrong half a bunch of the time. But yeah. maybe there's enough synergy overall to tie it all together that it's fine. Um, I don't know. It's hard well, to say, it's hard to say a lot a- without having played a bunch with this deck. One thing I didn't like that was weak, I think, hmm. was the 10 top lands. Oh, but that you was, have to have them, right? It's very bad. Like, your deck just... I know. Maybe that's too many of them. You... Like, you could have, like... My... I know. Yeah, because, like, you have 14 overall. I don't think you need 14. Okay, sure. So, but, like... like in Popper, in Popper, when I was playing Jeskai Ephemerate, which is, you know, uses the same strategy as Cleansing Wildfire, we used to play 9. Right, but Popper games go, like, a million is... years. Like, in... I feel no, like, no, but like in modern... your goal, your goal is, yeah, is to cast this on turn turn two like in the dream scenario but you don't have to on your own land whereas in modern you do have yeah, to yeah, yeah like, here I you're trying to ram well, the ring in turn three yeah it's well, a different deck yeah but you have so much cheap cards that are but it's not about taking game actions else. it's about actually winning games that's the thing also i, I found myself having to cleanse what fire my opponent land sometimes like urza saga for example is a land that you have to like destroy whereas in popper you, you target your own lands you never target your opponent lands uh also, like, there's some decks where they actually don't have basics, so uh, you can just um, like actually stone rain them sometimes, and uh, and and that was another another t- angle with the boom bust. Uh, but d- then again, I think eleven is too much. Sorry, eleven Taplin plus Citadel. So I found myself again like just falling behind early game. But I think there's potential, and when I was curving out. <laughs> you know, and I just randomly burning the opponent out was very real because you have ten uh, large damage spell. But again, this deck seems good. It seems take. decent. Like I don't know, I the DS is this, fine. Yeah, yeah. definitely uh, worth showcasing. Uh, but um, again, uh, we we talked a lot about last week about the Super League. Uh, so have you made it to the top eight? And uh, the top eight is very stacked. Uh, the left bracket sees Nathan Stoyer, Javier Dominguez, Reed Duke, Canister. And uh, one winner out of this four will face uh, the winner of the right bracket, which is Jim Davis, Aspiring Spike, Jesse Robkin, and Corey Baumeister. Um, so this week, if I'm not mistaken, so like on Wednesdays, so like tomorrow yeah. as we record, you'll fight Nathan with one single deck. Yep. We'll fight Nathan in so the quarterfinal. So you, play, so you will play one match. Yeah, I will play one match That's against it. Nathan. So, you know, according to him, and that will be like will... my last match. We'll see if I can prove yeah. him wrong. <laughs> and then the winner of you two plays against Reduke of Canister the next time with a different deck. Like you don't have to play the same deck. Yeah, that's true. I believe that's true. Okay, okay, perfect. So you know you will uh, you will go on the these uh, meta gaming uh, mindset uh, all the time. Yeah, we, we, we not really because I don't think it matters that much to Javier what he plays because he expects that he'll probably beat Nathan either way. So he probably just why <laughs> you're really bad at this trash talk thing, Javier. Yeah, we've yeah. Got to teach you. We've got to teach you. I have to get better. I have to teach yeah. these young guys. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I'm kind of excited. I, right. I actually enjoyed this this little thing a lot. So we'll we'll see if I can make it to the finals, yeah. like top four or whatever. That's cool. I hope you do for sure. <sighs> In let's change format after talking for forty minutes about modern. Thank God. Uh, let's go a little bit. Let's go. Let's talk a little bit about pioneer. Uh, there was some more regional championships this past weekend. Uh, they happened in Southeast Asia and uh, Brazil, I believe. 
uh, maybe some more in Mexico Taiwan and as Taiwan. well. Yep. Mexico and Taiwan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is. Uh, yeah. Is there is there something that uh, that stood out to you? I definitely saw uh, Claudio H. Uh, Claudio Miranda. Uh, going deep with uh, Azores Control, getting that PT invite. This is an archetype, a beloved archetype from um, for Pioneer players, and uh, it hasn't done very well recently, but I guess he he made it work. Pabu's kind of a master. Uh, he, he plays like a lot of this and the uh, five-color Niv. Um, so it's, it's great to see that, you know, someone's playing a deck, you know, the classic, oh, you master your deck, and then you win with it despite it not being, uh, you know, <laughs> the most uh, attractive choice in general. Um, wow, one divination there, one quick study yeah, sitting in the study. top yeah, right corner. Study. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I actually nice. didn't notice it. I thought that, I thought all of this was stock, but there is a quick study there. I love temporary lockdown right oh. now. It seems really good. You can draw a lockdown with yeah. a study. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah. is a lot of convokes. I believe convoke won two different uh, RCs this this past this past weekend. And it also won in the Australian one. Well, so the Australian one it was heroic, that... not, not Convoke. Oh, sorry, heroic. Okay. But still, like, very aggressive strategies are definitely succeeding in Pioneer. I mean, yeah, I don't love Pioneer, but it just keeps showing itself as the most diverse format, doesn't it? Like, For sure. Other topics are like, and you know, they, they how Mango like, likes them, you know, like six different decks. It shifts in interesting ways. Like, it's not just yeah. a cycle that repeats over and over, but like, I don't know. We just we just had no idea that Convoke would suddenly burst out like well, this. Well, like, just see like small tweaks of different decks or whatever as well. Yeah. Oh, this is a five color human deck Ooh, check, without Cavern of Souls because out. it's not legal yet. But Ta- you know, the Anthony deck. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah in Taiwan, uh, they're ready for the Cavern of Souls. Cheng, Lin Cheng Sun uh, topated with uh, five color humans. Uh, wow. With the beloved werewolf pack leader into mantis rider combo a curve that we talked about last week. Uh, they get it ready. Week. They're very ready. I mean, that's they a very strong curve. Yeah. Yeah. Unclean territory, secluded courtyard, and this this weekend, just in four days, you can play Cavern of Souls as well in this deck. Well, I will like that. I would like to try this deck. You know, we could we can we could try it mango. You know, for the old days. Yeah. You got to. Yeah. yeah there's experiment <laughs> one, and hopefully initiate as your one drop. Uh, I don't think that this deck is picking up new cards, but maybe it does. Who knows? There I mean, there's so many humans. Copper... Yeah, there's also Copper Coat Vanguard, which is uh, a card that people might not know. Uh, it's one in a white. Each It's a 2-2 that pumps each other humans and gives word one. It's from the uh, aftermath of some, some set. Much of the machine uh, aftermath. Some yes. recent much of the machine aftermath. And again, like you just cut some... Uh, some uh, botanical sanctum reser just lands and you add four cavern of souls you make your humans uncountable from make this appear as well as fixing your mana base yeah and probably maybe there's some work. black humans here like there's only one red one black like maybe there's more black red yeah humans. This, it could open up some options that you weren't previously weren't able to consider judith you have judith sure judith yeah or... judith could be good like i don't know there's even the freebooter like the all good old freebooter to that combo, like I don't know. There's, there's just so many. Like <laughs> yeah, there's so many of them. Yeah, there's so many humans. Human, yeah, humans yeah, everywhere. That's a cool. That's but a yeah, cool deck. The, yeah, the pioneer format keeps them being super diverse. And uh, by the way, I noticed a bunch of people uh, have have repeat RC top eights, which is really great to see from some of the smaller regions as well. Because it means, I feel that it means that this potential is like coming out again. Like I remember this uh, in up there in Mexico. You scroll up a little. Um, 
You see this guy, Archibald, Brazil, I think Sanchez Peralta, I think, from... You scroll up too far. <laughs> I remember that's his name. You know, I, I remember he... I believe he won previous RC in, in Mexico. And uh, I see on Southeast Asia, the same thing. Uh, John Daron Sahagun. I hope I'm saying these guys' names yeah, close I mean, enough to correct. Is but, hard. Yeah. Um, but that that guy had uh, won a previous Southeast Asian RC as well, top eighting again. Like you see some of these names repeat, and you know I'm like, oh, you know, we've got to keep an eye on these people, you know, because yeah. before it was I harder believe... for them to qualify, uh, and now, you know, now this new system well, gives it's... them a chance. What's that? Yeah, it's still very hard though. Oh, it's very hard. One, but... I believe there was 165 players, and only the top two qualified. Right. So. Uh, it is definitely hard. <laughs> it's just uh... but that's why it's so. By the previous system, it was almost impossible. Like, but now we're actually seeing these names reappear, and you know, from 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 these smaller regions. And I think it's yeah, it, the, it feels like something noteworthy could come of that. The system cut a lot of invites. For example, on the RC in Europe, it went from thirty six to twenty four. In Taiwan, I believe it went to four to two. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't know. How much was the cut? I believe uh, Brazil was always top four and they remain top four as far as I know. But again, I might be mistaken. And this month we will have the uh, Canadian, the second Canadian RC. And then next month we'll have the American RC. So, and I think that will kind of round out the 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 invites for, uh, for Chicago, which it's kind of weird that we will have the next RC before even the... the you know, it's just like you qualify to the PT after the one that is happening in a month. I don't know. The The order of these events is kind of strange to me. I believe that that's just one unusual thing with these particular, for the, for this particular set of RCs, I think. That, that is the next one um, for Outlaws of Thunder Junction. Uh, that's just, a, that's just, uh, like, I think it's not that, that will not be usual. I think there was a scheduling issue um, with, with some tournament organizers that caused this. Uh, but that's not normal, and I would not expect it to happen very often, if at all, going forward. So, not a big deal. Okay. Uh, what if we uh, run out uh, the, the podcast with some previews? Because, again, in just a few days, uh, you can go play the pre-release in your uh, local game store. And, um, yeah, so we want to talk about a little bit about some extra cards. So we've talked about the most important one, I think, in the past weeks. Uh, definitely my highest uh, focus goes on Molten Collapse, a multi-format removal spells from Pioneer to Standard, Legacy, Modern, everywhere. But, you know, I made Anthony select uh, five cards uh, for Standard that uh, we, we can talk about. So, uh, yeah, uh, are, are, are you guys ready to start? Well, I'm ready to joke about how you say scales is good and then say this weekend there's a card that destroys scales for scam. <laughs> Well, he's saying it's good. It's it's. He said it's good now. You know, it's good for Maybe now. It's good for today, not for, the not for the weekend. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, Sentinel of the Nameless City, uh, two and a green, three four vigilance. Whenever this enters the battlefield or attacks, create a map token. Yeah, I don't have that. Actually, have that much to say about this card. I just wanted to note it because I mean, it just seems like it's it has large. a very good rate, and the three drops in Golgari were you know after Glister, they're not. Um, enthralling to play many of like we've maybe, maybe finally we can get rid of graveyard trespasser you know um which i'm very excited about so yeah i think this card just has a great rate um it's not too much to say about it i think there might be some particular synergy maps but honestly if you had none this card would still be good yeah yes yeah, synergies with explorers maybe i don't know if there are like wild earth walker 
Uh, I don't know if there is. Well, the Fuspo is out, so there's there's no well, Walker. Yeah, there's nothing like that. There's nothing that rewards. I mean, and maybe there are things with bargain or whatever, you know, that are good. Uh, there's doors of, doors of one that whenever. Oh no, never mind. That's when you gain, you gain life. life explorer. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like these tokens, they're good for maybe if you care about bargain or, um, the craft mechanic. Also, sometimes uses artifacts. So, you know, maybe. Can you use? Um, I mean, this this card is very similar to the tracker, right? To the bridge, but I don't know the fourth tracker. tracker. Yeah, that one. This card yeah. seems to be like dear competition for that card, and that card is also actually not a staple. I would say this one is slightly better, but I think the format will need to have like a lot of like monorets for this to be good. I will say. I could see that. That might that might that might be true as well. I mean, I think the sizing is quite a bit better, to be fair. But yeah, three four is three four. Yeah. Four toughness is big deal. Yeah. Like blocks the red, red knights, whatever. Like there's, there's a lot of upsides. Uh, yeah, not great. Right. Let's continue right. with uh, contested game ball, which, as far as I know, it's the game that uh, they, whatever. Uh, contested game ball, an artifact that says uh, it's a football. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. No. I, I, there's some traditional game with this, but. I don't know what yeah, it is. Exactly. It's not magic, so I don't but... care what it is. The only, that's the only game that I play. That's so. classic Anthony. But I, yeah. now I'm curious. Like, I assume there's a circle and the ball goes there? I don't know. Probably. Yeah, I think it's like that circle, it's attached to the wall, and you have to, with your hands, uh, like put the ball inside that circle, and you play in two teams. Nice. And there's obviously some extra nice. rules. But... Anyway, whenever you're dealt combat damage, the attacking player gains control of these things and attacks it. Okay, that's not what I was expecting. Uh, let's see what's the ability. It's like a monarch. Tap tap, it's a monarch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, draw a card and put a counter on this. Then if it has five or more counters, sacrifice it and make a treasure token. So it comes into play, does nothing. You tap to tap, you draw a card. So it's like um, Reckoner Bank Buster. But if your opponent deals damage to you, they steal it. So it's like a bank buster, but only good against slow decks. Yeah, I think like, I don't know, like this is obviously not a great card, but I assumed that most people would just never consider this card for constructed at all. But it looks like maybe it's a good sideboard card against control decks, which might be notable because it's colorless. Because, yeah, I think it's like Monarch. You really want this against decks that have no creatures, right? Um, There's still some element of risk because control decks can deal damage to you with, I don't know, like a samurai token or something. So it's not... Like, it's completely foolproof, but I don't know. This might be good enough against as a sideboard card against, you know, if you play against Band Control or Esper Control or something. If you get to get the full number of activations out, out of this, seems strong, maybe. All right, that's cool. I like the card. Uh, I think it's a cool design. I like it. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. at least. Moving on, we have a 3-mana black creature of Schism. It's a 2-4. What does that mean? Schism? Is it's, that a name? Um... Like a large gap. So, which is, I don't know whether it's figurative or literal. Like, if it's literal, it's just like a very big hole, but it can also be figurative. Like, uh, the church has had, like, a schism, for example, would mean that people have divided oh, over. Oh, I know what it is. Yes? Schisma. Schisma. Yes, okay, yes, okay. yes. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's the big, uh, when the Roman Empire yes, split like into. Yes, like that. Yes, that's, exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, sometimes, like, yeah, I hear these words and I don't know the mean. Then you explain, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sometimes right. you just need a little thing to jog your memory. Yeah. Cultural carnies. Three mana two for death touch. <laughs> Three mana two for death touch. 
when the Spritcher of Schism attacks, the player with the most life or tied for most life create a 1-1 vampire creature token with lifelink. Okay. Okay. So if your opponent has more life than you, or you make tied. a 1-1. No, if you do have more life. But when no, it attacks the player with the most attacks. Oh, car, sorry, sorry. Okay, okay, okay. So it was attack. The, okay, this is not a common <laughs> there. Okay. Okay, so if you are both on 20 life, this makes a token. Yes. Yep. And whenever it attacks, if you have more life or tied, you draw a card and lose one life. Wow. So something that okay. I missed so at first this... was that if you're tied, you mm. just get both, which is kind of awesome. Okay. So you are uh, playing a 2 for Death Touch without an ATB, but with big toughness. And that's going to give you some value, either a 1-1 one, one token or a card. Well, but it doesn't, might not be either. I mean, yeah, it often will be either, but the fact that it might be both, I think, is significant. Um, I don't know. It seems like, again, this is I, I'm on my mission to cut Graveyard Trespasser and replace it with something I don't hate. So, <laughs> you know. You're so hateful. I think this card is better than the green one. Like, comparing this card to the Sentinel, so, yeah. of, Sentinel of Maps, uh, I think this one is better. One, Death Touch is actually, like, a useful ability. It's very relevant. In a standard. Yeah. Um, this still doesn't compare Why? Right to Nice. Why is this? I mean, that's just a good ability, right? Like, it just makes so, like, cars like Shouldered cannot attack. You know, Topier Stomper. There are creatures. The Topier Stomper. There are big creatures in standard for. always. Like, like that's just, just simply a good ability in standard, isn't it? I think so. Uh, yeah. It also prevents, like, double blocks or whatever in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I will see this card being playable in the standard. I don't think it's great or anything, but. My instinct will be like, yeah, this might just actually be better than uh, our beloved Graveyard Trespasser. <laughs> Please. Uh, I also wanted to note you can kind All of right. uh, mod moderate your life total as well if you want, like, one of the abilities more. I guess uh, it would have to be the first one. Like, you can maybe try to tie your life total with, like, Landmark Waste or something. But then if you play against this, you can also try to oh, do the same. Wow. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, because Painlands are legally standard. Yeah, which makes cards they like are this very quite legal. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move it on with Kitzil Larsenist. Three mana, two, three, flying word one, and then a big wall of text that says, when enters the battlefield for each player, choose up to one target artifact or creature that player controls. As long as this remains on the battlefield, the chosen permanence becomes a treasure. Yep. What? Lose all the other abilities. Isn't this wow. kind of so good? You can, you can switch off any. This is like blue... Like yes, wow! It it's That's like a blue permanent. brutal Cathar, yeah, but brutal which is already pretty significant because yeah. normally only white gets those. But now we have a blue yeah. one, right? But it has sword also, like that's, yeah, it's, it's like a better size. It's more relevant in players a two three, like it can target artifacts. Um, it can target your own things as well if for some reason you need to do that. Like maybe you have some token you would prefer with a treasure, and something else that's kind of neat is that um. Cards like Brutal Cathar are a little bit worse against ETB effects, because when the Cathar dies, it re-triggers them, right? But that's not true for this card. So, for yeah. example, like, it's usually, like, you could never, like, Cathar, like, I don't know, to take an extreme example, an Atraxa, or a less extreme example, um, uh, what do you call it, the Topri Stomper, whereas with this you can't, because if your last one is dies, they don't re-trigger their card. I think that's quite, like, 
And nice change. And this is a human, so yes. it can go into five colors. Well, I mean, this that. is better in that deck than Cathar will be, right? Presumably. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like it's better against Manor in Devotion because you can just get the Cover of Thorns or whatever, right? I mean, I guess they don't lose Devotion. Or even a Planeswalker. Or also a Planeswalker you can get. No, Artifact or Creature. Oh. Okay. I mean, either way, like this power level of this card is this is a good card. Like this is on surface as good as Cathar, kind of, which was well, like oh, yeah. I want to totally play this in cube. Card. I want to put this in cube as well. Yes, maybe. Great. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, this yeah. and also it's hard to overlook. I mean, sorry, it's easy to overlook how good Ward One is in this kind of cards because often they, they, these have to be killed, right? Like this is you know, you have to use them all in this creature. But the ward makes it so like if you're playing specifically here, if you're on the draw and you have to go for the throat or whatever, and they just play this guy in three, you cannot kill it right away. So even when it's bad because you don't play creatures or whatever, it's still like a fine two, three flying creature they cannot kill, you know, that easily. I don't know. This is good. I mean, this yeah. is this could be I, mean, I will see this card and, and think it's good even if it didn't have flying, but it's a two three flying ward one, which is not that far from being okay. Yeah, it's a lot going on. Let's continue with Inti, Seneschal of the Sun. All right, does Seneschal also mean something? Uh, yeah, it's a specific position. Like, it's a job someone can have. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Seneschal okay. in Spanish. Yeah. Seneschal. Anyway, think. <laughs> the 2 mana 2 2 legendary. And whenever it attacks, you may discard a card. And if you do, you put a plus one plus one counter on target attacking creature and it gets trampled. And then it says, whenever you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library, you may play that until your end turn. And when I read this card, I felt like it was very good. Because what happens is, uh, you just have a one drop. There is even one in the set that is decent, that works with artifacts. Um, then you play this on turn two, you attack, you discard a card, whatever, and you just pump that creature forever. And then I guess you don't, that's not the best scenario because you don't get the card advantage or rather the card parity right away. But then the turn after you can do it again. You can actually loot a land away. And yeah, putting plus one, plus one counter and giving trample is, is no joke. Uh, this is cool. Yeah, I mean, can we call this the Red Rafine, Anthony? Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, all right, whatever, fine. I, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let you have this one. Victory. Yeah, I don't know. This is like I mean, do you remember for some some time we were trying to play conspiracy theorist in standard? You know, the yeah. two drop from Strixhaven. This just seems like a really awesome conspiracy theorist. I think. Yeah, no, um, what was not was not as bad to start with, right? Yeah, the and this theorist. is like legitimately aggressive. Yeah, like I mean, this is a good card. Um, also, it might get to a crit to like to a point where we reach a critical mass of enough effects that are playable in zone that enable decks like Reanimator or whatever. You know, the same way Fable did. This is a kind of card that's good enough at doing this that also helps. You know, like it also targets itself, right? So, you know, you can just build a 2 2 for 2. Then it attacks on 3 as a 3 3 that actually loads a card, which, you know, it's acceptable. And yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a good card. I mean, we're going to see yeah. this card played in a standard, I'm sure. Like, it's definitely interesting with Harvester that they're both like cards that, like, both enable to be aggressive but also enable discard synergies. So you start to get like these hybrid strategies. Like decks that are, yep. you know, both reanimator and mid-range decks. And, yeah, I think that's something really interesting about spoilers in general, like when they can do more than one thing. So the possible applications are multiple. Yeah, what am I seeing here? Another card. Oh, Another card that I that I think is good and we haven't mentioned yet is a Tithing Blade. This may be 
is just a common, so it's definitely going to impact Popper. Uh, I don't know how much it's going to impact Standard, but again, I think it, it, Popper is really, really good. And uh, what it does is a, a one in a black artifact. When it comes into play, each opponent sacrifices a creature. So it's like Trial of Ambition, which I played in Pioneer before. And it's not just a, um, a sacrifice effect. It also has Craft with Creature, which is an ability that says you pay four in a black, you exile this artifact and you exile either a creature in, in play or a creature in your graveyard and you and you flip this. And it's a an artifact again that at the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses a life and you gain a life. So what is this? Is a two mana edict. So it's like a cruel edict with upside. And the upside in Pauper that is huge is that you can do so much with an artifact. You can sacrifice it to a deadly dispute. You can return it to hand with Glintalk or Corfet Walker. You can blink it with uh, Ghost, uh, uh, what's the name? The two in a blue, uh, blink two things. Flicker. And just add Ghost to Flicker, exactly. And much more. And by itself, it's also not just an edict, but it flips into this thing that drains. And in Popper right now, the most successful deck is a deck that tries to put into play Tolerant Terror and Cryptic Serpent, so naturally, and doesn't have that many other creatures. So naturally, an Edict is very good against that. So I think this card in Titan Blade is going to have a huge impact in Popper. Uh, definitely going to uh, see so much play and it's going to push black. And I think that there's like enough power level that it can uh, breach into other formats as well. Yeah, this is the kind of card that I meant when I said, you know, from the first spoilers that, you know, we remember the the week that we were literally looking at the spoilers as they were coming out, and I said, well, these cards with craft are probably worth considering just because they're spells stapled onto a game object, and just being an object is becoming something that's inherently valuable in Magic now. And I think, um, yeah, this is exactly the kind of spell that I was thinking about, you know, that they could print that would make that true. Yeah. Uh, after this podcast, I plan on making a video for Channel Fireball where I go over the most impactful popper uh, popper cards from the uh, from the set. But I guess uh, we guys super briefly go over them here. Uh, we have a Mephitic Drought, which is basically an Ecor Wellspring. It costs one in the black, comes into play or dies. You draw a card and lose a life. So much worse than Ecor Wellspring, but still similar enough that uh, the cards can see play because Ecor Wellspring sees plenty of playing popper. And then we have Fanatical Offering, which is slightly similar to the uh, Deadly Dispute, which gets plenty of play in Pioneer as well. And it's one in the black. As an additional cost, you sacrifice an artifact or a creature, you draw two cards, and you create a map. So maybe you so can map, play this card in the Pioneer. Uh, clearly, Treasure is better, I think. Uh, but, you know, it might be better than maybe uh, Reckoner's Bargain, which doesn't see any play in Pioneer. Maybe this card can see playing Pioneer because it gives you another thing that you can sacrifice and you can trigger your um, your thing. So by the way, uh, I, I mentioned that on uh, uh, on Twitter yesterday, the ability Descend, uh, it's not Revolt. We mentioned it's not Revolt because the treasure or the map doesn't turn it on, but there's something that turns it on that doesn't turn on Revolt, which is Cycling Troll of Kazandum or surveilling to the graveyard a permanent with like a Dragon's Raid Channeler. So if you have Channeler in play and you surveil to the graveyard a land, you are turning on revolt, uh, Descend. So for example, in uh, Modern or Legacy, you can like ponder into a land on top, you play the uh, Molten Collapse, you descend the land in the in the graveyard and you have your uh, Descend turned on, even if you don't have any fetch land. And I think that's super cool and something that uh, listeners might have not noticed and I wanted to note uh, before the set is out. 
and uh, I have one more um, final There's card more. that I want to nice. show. Yeah, one more card that I want to show. Uh, that is, uh, uh, sorry, I am digging uh, too many. This lost too many paper decks in Mango's screen. Yeah, yeah, brewed another, uh, another thing. It's not again. It's not a super big deal, but it's the Goblin Tomb Raider, and that is the uh, one red. As long as you control an artifact, this gets plus one, plus zero, and as haste. So uh, what happens is that in, in Popper with uh, Great Furnace or in other formats uh, where you can have Voldar and Epicure or, uh, I don't know, there's uh, some other artifacts that you can cast for cheap. This is just a Goblin Guide. <laughs> sure. Yeah, this seems playable, right? This, this card seems playable for like Pioneer or Modern, remotely playable at least. Yeah, this hmm. is a Goblin Guide with... Uh, with no downside of revealing the top card to your opponent. Uh, yeah, this is uh, something that will definitely, definitely see play in, po in, in Popper, 100%. Uh, but maybe I can also see play in uh, other formats. Interesting card. I hadn't really thought about that one. Yeah, I mean, the, the stats are right. potentially very good. Like, I mean, obviously, this just end being bad, but I mean, it's worth trying. I mean, Bubble plus this is a Goblin Guide, no downside. So, I don't know. We'll see. There was a Monorad deck in Modern like some months ago. Remember, we, we discussed it mm -hmm. here. It was like yep. this Monorad, Shravenal Blast or whatever, topic two challenges, I think. Right. Have, I you know, yeah, I mean, this card would be perfect in that deck. I don't know if it could be good enough, but, you know, that, it's a good card for that deck for sure. <laughs> it's a one-drop yeah. red pirate. Speaking of... That's, that's broken, apparently. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, Ivan. Pirate Travel. Yeah. Coming of Souls. Speaking pirate. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of Monorad, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Bird won two challenges this weekend. And uh, Topated also the PTQ, so... So when are we going to ban Riftblower? Oh, no, no, that's fine. We need uh, <laughs> to be more present than that. Okay. All I'll right. Wait. I guess we... Yeah, we haven't talked too much about what you guys did this past weekend. Was it any anything notable, or it was just a normal, relaxing weekend? Did you play any Magic? Did you, I don't know, play any RCQs and things to note? Well, I played the Vintage Challenge, if that counts, on Magical Line, but... How'd it go? I went three and three. Uh, I actually threw a match away with Lethal. I saw the Lethal line and then just misbrained like halfway with the Storm Besiege deck. But still, we'll have gone for two. So Yeah, I did. So for two, we'll have not been enough anyway. So I don't feel that as bad. And that was it. I keep not doing that well. But it was fun, actually. I had some fun vintage games, which, you know, it's fine. I just took a day off on Sunday. Yeah, also I also played vintage. Although it was a paper, um, a paper uh, full proxies, fifteen people tournament. So that was cool uh, to go there. Um, I also played in the uh, Ultimate Guard Charity uh, Cup, where uh, it, was, it was fun. Actually, Anthony helped me a lot there. Uh, the format was day one historic brawl, and now, as you might know, I don't play very much arena, and I don't know much about that format. Anthony feed me a Thalia list which I have not lost with yet. On the ladder, I am 11-0, and in the tournament, I went 4-0. So, you know, undefeated in historic brawl, uh, Italia, you deck. can net deck the list. Classic I Anthony was, uh, Brew. Actually, Anthony Brew never loses. I watched, um, actually, yeah, I was watching Nathan play, and yeah, we both thought the format was actually pretty fun. Like, obviously, neither of us have touched the format before uh, this event, but it was actually pretty fun. Um, you know, maybe we'll give it a go at some point, but... Uh... You know, it was, yeah, it was fun to do something totally different, you know, because there's not as many um, high-level events for us right now. There's, you know, a bit of a gap between uh, Worlds and the next PT. So it was fun to get to look at, you know, 
fun diversion, the side diversions like uh, historic brawl. Unfortunately, though, the topic wasn't historic brawl was standard, and I played a uh, Esper. Um, the top eight was pretty stacked, to be honest. And uh, somehow, Nassif finished last in his group on day one. And uh, a player that finished first couldn't be, couldn't be in day two. And, uh, you know, any, nobody else wanted to play, I guess. And they just picked Nassif. I played against Nassif uh, in the quarter and he just wrecked me with Domain. <laughs> and I was playing Esper. Um, so Nassif beat yeah, you so while he was playing in top eight of the qualifier. Yeah, he was multi-queuing, he was streaming everything, he was playing vintage, modern, and standard. Nice. That, that was, uh, yeah. The multi-format superstar, yeah. like, make this appear. So makes but... him one of the goats. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. All right, guys. I think we're good to, to go for today, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds like fun. Yeah. 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 We're wrapping it up. I mean, thanks for listening, as always. And let us know, yeah, cheers, you know if, yeah, if you have any questions or whatever. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers.